Good morning, Communitas Church. If you are a little kid, you may feel free to exit. I think this is stage left. My inner thespian tells me that, that I've got a 50-50 chance, so I'll take three choices. You may feel free to hustle on out that direction. There are fun people who have adventures and crayons and all kinds of other things. I haven't been back there yet. I'll be there in two weeks, so I'll get to learn all about it as well. So we're continuing our, our series on James here, and I'll be in James 3 and 4 throughout the day. We're going to do, uh, I hope you like scripture, we're going to be a little, little scripture heavy today. I figure, um, what? yeah, there we go, right? As a, as a pastor and as a, as a preacher, it's, uh, you know, it's always tough. Sometimes one of my biggest fears is I'm going to get up and say something that's heretical. Well, if you just read the Bible, it's really tough to, to, go, that, to go down that road. Um, so anyway, someone, I, I'd like you, this little audience participation. Uh, so I want you to complete this phrase for me. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Which is total crap, right? Like, honestly. If we think about that, like it, there's, it's a, it's all a bunch of BS. Like nothing could be further from the truth. If that were true, folks like Joel and AJ and Sue would be completely out of a job, um, you know. And and really, and what they do, and I mean, Bob and myself would probably also be out of a job um, if it was just, you know, you, you think about counseling centers and you think about just the the tears and I mean the love songs and all that kind of stuff. Like these 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 words and these stories that we hear about pain, it's not just about physical, it's a lot of times it's about words. There's a guy named Dave Barnes. He's a singer-songwriter I like to listen to. And he has a word called stick or a song called Sticks and Stones. And the, the lyrics go, I'd rather have sticks and stones than bro- and broken bones than the words you say to me. And it's all about this, this breakup and this heartache. Um, because we get that, right? Our words are really, really important. Uh, and I know there's there's some wisdom in being able to just kind of shrug off words, you know, when you're when you're little, people, you know, like you're in elementary school, people tease you, and you know, you come home and you tell your parents, and they're like, you got to ignore them. They're you know they're stupid, and the serotonin and the prefrontal cortex hasn't really solidified, so they're able to <laughs> say things that make sense and and no kindness. You know, you need to be kind, kind of live this paradoxical life. Um, but it's still it's really tough, and. Um, and so many of us have been hurt by words. We've been, um, and some of us have hurt others with our words. If you've been married for like 15 minutes or in any kind of a relationship for like two seconds, you know that words from the other can hurt. And you've, 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 you've probably said those words where you're just going, you see it kind of floating out. You know, you have it in your mind and then you say that word and you see it floating out and you go, oh, this isn't going to land well. And it lands in that other person's mind, and you just know immediately, no, I said the wrong thing there. That was really foolish of me, and I can't undo that. But then some of us have had really great words spoken to us, and it's like, you just, like, you can't buy that kind of goodness. And some of us have spoken those types of words to people, and you watch, like, the joy and the inner healing. And like this wholeness and freedom wash over people, and it's like, oh yeah, and you get this this little glimpse of 
of like who God is and, and what, how he's designed the world to work and like this little, this, this shot of the kingdom of heaven. You're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I come from, uh, I grew up in a faith tradition that before the reading of the gospel, we did this really cool thing um, where you'd, you'd take your thumb and you'd make the sign of the cross uh, on, your, on your head, over your mouth, and over your heart. And as you're doing that, you're supposed to say, may the Lord be on my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. And if we think about, you know, love God, love people, and there's this idea of, of tr- the transforming of the mind and the transforming of the heart, and that's, that's pretty common throughout, you know, a lot of scripture, um, you know, not really a new idea. You know, we've got we've to get, you know, right thoughts, heart in our right place. Bob talked about that a little bit last week as far as right doctrine. But I always was captivated by the fact that, you know, it could have said, you know, right hands, right, right, all kinds of different things, but it was, may the Lord be on my mind, on my lips, and in my heart. And so there is this transforming, intrinsic, fundamental power in our words. Last week, uh, one of the things that, that Bob said that I really liked was he talked about how we need this need to embody the words. And it's not just about knowing, it's about doing. Because even the Pharisees and Satan know the words of Scripture, but they weren't transformed by them. And I, like how, I love how Bob said it, the engrafted word has the capacity to save your soul. And so you know, we look at the Pharisees and, and Satan throughout Scripture, and even if we look at ourselves and our own lives and we take stock in our words, we begin to see that there are times when if those words aren't engrafted, we have no capacity. So to continue with, with James, um, so if we remember He's the pastor of the Jerusalem church. He's writing this letter, and it's kind of Righteous Living 101. Um, and so he's, he's given kind of some pot shots. He's talked about the importance of, of understanding this, this right doctrine. Bob talked about that last week, if you were here. And, uh, and then chapters 3 and 4, of course, where's the first place he's going to go? To our words, right? I mean, I just I, I love and I've been fascinated by how we go from you got to get your, your mind and your heart wrapped around this idea and the first place that this is going to manifest or going to fall on its face is in our words and what we say to people and to ourselves. Um, and so it's, you know, it's this idea where we know the word, we're transformed by the word, and the first thing that needs to be transformed is our words. Because they're important. They bring the gospel and it's... And so what my hope is by the end of this is that we, we understand the importance that praise of the Lord is always on our lips. Uh, and what I wanted, so I'd like to kind of do here, we're going to, like I said, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And what I want to do is because we talked about James a few weeks back and how a lot of his words are a lot like Jesus's words, which makes sense. Because if you remember my brother and I, if we were to talk, you, we would sound the same. A lot of our stories would be similar. And James was the half-brother of Jesus. And so a lot of his words and a lot of their stories and a lot of the way they, sound, they say things are going to sound the same. The background of James is pretty heavily rooted in Proverbs and in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see a lot of, of Proverbs in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's not really a big surprise. And so I thought it'd be kind of fun if we read a few of these Proverbs to kind of set us up for what we're going to read about today in James. 
And uh, if you if you haven't gone, if, if we had a word counter right now of how many times I've said word so far this morning, that's a pretty good indication of what we're going to talk about. And so as we're reading, I want you we should pay attention to, and you'll notice the one of the repeated words is going to be the tongue. So today we're, we're talking about the tongue. We're talking about our words. We're talking about speech. So if you're a note taker and you want to know where we're going, that's where we're going to camp out today. Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Notice how many of those are related, not to the sticks and the stones, but to the words. Proverbs 17.4 says, An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. So even what we hear, even what we pay attention to, even what we allow others to say to us is important. Matthew 12, 36 through 37, or excuse me, 33 through 37, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. That's that transformation piece. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, son, the the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Proverbs 12, 18 and 19 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. I've never been stabbed by a sword, but I would imagine that would hurt, and that's going to bring some severity to what, what, what are we saying here. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips Endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. It's almost as though our words have the ability to speak into the halls of eternity and change lives and transform hearts. We should take stock in that. So I'm just going to read through James 3 and 4. We're just going to do the whole thing, I figure. We can never read enough scripture, right? Um, and I'm going to throw in some commentary. And as we go through it, there's there's three things that we can we can kind of um, take notice of as we think about this: the importance of our words and their ability to bring the life of the gospel. And that's this notion of making peace, resisting the devil, and drawing near to God. So make peace, resist the devil. Draw near to God. James 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, 
able also to bridle his whole body as well. If we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet boasts of great things. How great is a forest set ablaze by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and our Father, and with it, we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. I used to do some work with uh, wastewater. I used to do work with fresh water, and we always had equipment that was for wastewater, and it never did anything but go in wastewater. And then we had fresh water that only went in fresh water because you didn't mix these two things. And that's kind of what James is saying here. It's, it's his letter to the Christians in Jerusalem, and, and he's saying, look, if, if you're doing this whole Jesus thing, if you're living the Jesus way, you don't get to talk like you're part of the world anymore. Your words need to be transformed, which is, is kind of this tricky thing, right? Because he says right here, hey, look, I get it. You're not perfect. This, this isn't something that like, nobody's tamed the tongue yet, but you've got to work at it. We've got to get there, which is a really great apologetic to, uh, to non-Christians and a really fun, like, imagine, imagine for a moment that we were a part of this, this community and this culture that spoke the truth and spoke kindly and lovingly and, and worked patiently with people uh, in their words as they progressed along in their holiness and in their sanctification. And that's what James is talking about here. He says, your words are important. They bring the life of the gospel and may praise be ever on your lips. And I love this thing where he's talking about the uh, we bless the Lord and we curse the people who are made in the likeness of God. Many of us have uh, an inner dialogue that goes on throughout the day. We wake up, you know, and for me it's like, okay, get up, okay, I'm going to, you know, I've got my, my increments of time and how long it's going to take me to get out the door so I can get to where I'm going on time and be considerate for other people. And throughout the day, depending how the day goes, the dialogue changes, right? We used to live out, out east, and the traffic was crazy. And so my inner dialogue uh, on my way to church was not what my inner dialogue should have been on my way <laughs> to church, right? You're driving along, people are cutting you off, and you're like, I don't care that you were made in the image of God. You cut me off, and I'm very mad at you. Or you're going 45 and a 70. Come on, like, let's just get out of the way. No, it was either they were going crazy or they weren't in as big a hurry as I was. And I failed to see that they were made in the image and the likeness of God. 
when I was in college, I remember I, you know, there, there was just, you ever have like the, those people that just get underneath your skin? Like you just can't help it. You get around them and you're like, I would really like to not be around this person. And I would appreciate it if they would just stop talking to me. And there was this person like that where I was just like, I, you know, like we're at this Bible college. We're all going there for, for ministry purposes and things. And it was like, oh, I just, there was something about them. And it wasn't that they were repulsive. It was just, they just rub, rub me the wrong way, right? And I remember I was, I was reading this, uh, I was reading this, this book and, um, and the author says, you know, for, and it was a really short book. He was just talking about how, if you have a person like that in mind that you just can't stand and you're always just like, ugh, whatever, and, and you just kind of want to avoid and, and move away from that person, like essentially, he said, essentially what you're doing is you're looking at God and you're saying, God, in your creation, you screwed up. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I was like, how could I be so arrogant as to believe that this person had less value because there was some sort of like personality flaw or something that hadn't been ironed out, right? Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This is Bob last week talking about embodying the word, the engrafted word our discipleship, uh, matching the content and our behavior. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I love this line. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Does that sound like something that Jesus would have said? Make peace. It's as though God has experienced firsthand the order and the chaos of this world, and He's calling us to do something about it, to enter into that space and to live the gospel on purpose, to make that gospel come to life in our world. James has had this transforming experience where he went from not really believing that Jesus was who he said he was. Remember that time when we talked about how, how James at first thought that Jesus was a little bit crazy? You know? He's like, ah, you've gone beyond your, your oldest sibling. You think you're God vibe, and you're a little bit nuts, dude. Like, there's this part where they, James and some of his other siblings go and they, they try to bring Jesus away from the crowd. They're like, you're, you gotta knock this off. And then Jesus rises from the dead and James goes, oh. And it completely rocks his world. And he's 100% sold out for the gospel. And he spends so much time being just immersed in what Jesus had said and, and being around the disciples. That, and he spends all this time on, on prayer. Remember he talks about how he spent so much time in prayer that his knees were like that of a camel. Um, and he grows in, in patience and wisdom. And they make him the head of this church. And so he's writing this letter. And he's just saying, 
you got to work at it. You got to make this. This isn't just going to come naturally. You got to submit. And he's because he see, he sees the the Pharisees, and he and he sees the other people. So this, around this time, it's pretty common for people to think, oh, we, if we just know everything, then we'll get it figured out. You know, like, not that we've ever had anything like that. In the Western world, where we think, well, if we just know everything, then all of a sudden we'll get it figured out. But we know that knowledge doesn't always equal transformation. And James experiences this firsthand. He says, you can't just know it. It isn't about knowing it. It's about living that. Knowing that within yourself and allowing that to transform and shape your world. Are you going to let that happen? I was working at a, um, at a ranch in Colorado, and uh, and... We'd, we'd sit around this, in this bunkhouse and, and you'd have a lot of theological conversations and things. I remember these two guys, uh, you know, dear friends, like roommates, and, and they're just kind of, they're going at it. And all of a sudden they start like tossing these Bible verses back and forth at one another as though the Bible is some sort of argumentative tool and trump card that you can play. And oh, well, Bible says this. And they're, and they're just tossing this back and forth. And, and we're just sitting, it's, it's like, wow, this is kind of weird. This dude gets up. And he walks over, and I'm just going, I don't really know what's about to happen here, but this could get really interesting. And it's, you know, he's, 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 he's and he's, there's this flight of steps, and this guy's at the top of the steps. These guys, you know, having their theological debate are down at the bottom. And he yells at me, he says, Hey! And they stop. And I'm like, I don't know, like, what do you, what do you say to two people that are, arguing with the Bible back and forth to one another. Like, how is this going to end? He says, hey, you speak to one another as though Christ is speaking to you. You speak to one another as Christ. And they stopped. And they looked at one another and was like, oh yeah. Like Christ wouldn't say the words that we were saying back and forth to one another. So they, they kind of apologized to one another, recalibrated their conversation, and, and carried on. So James sees that speaking the gospel isn't just quoting verses, but it's bringing the praise of the Lord to our mouths. Chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, much like they were with these two friends? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do, ha- do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you do, do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell within us? Just let that sink in for a second. He yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell within us. And then this line gets me every time. But he gives how much grace? More grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Quick sidebar, that um, the submit yourselves, the be wretched, be mourn and weep. I just want to take two seconds to just, uh, this is kind of off, off the notes, off the radar here, but this isn't the Lord hoping that we mourn and weep. This is the Lord just saying like the that we should we should recognize kind of who we are and that should like we should come undone and that will cause us to to mourn and weep and kind of this this laughter be turning to mourning and your joy to gloom, to gloom. That's this idea that that's not like the laughter and the, and the joy of the Lord should bring us to gloom, but that's just that's that that paradoxical the just saying like this joy that we have in the things of this world should turn to gloom in comparison to the greater riches of knowing Christ. And that comes through humbling yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. If that didn't make any sense, we can talk about it later, but I know that's kind of a weird thing to just gloss over. I didn't want us to totally miss it. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and a judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So I've been, I've been speaking for a little while. We've been talking about the tongue talking about words, talking about their importance, talking about their ability to transform and, uh, and the need for the praise of the Lord to be on our lips. How are we doing with it? Is it conjuring up images and, 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 and memories over the last couple days, last week, month, years of the things that you've said that have been maybe pretty good? Or maybe things that you've said that and you'd, you'd really like a do-over on that one. You're conjuring up the pain that's been caused by words. Conjuring up the time that, man, somebody just totally spoke life and freedom and hope and dignity into your world. James understands and that this that this perfection isn't something that happens overnight. He's, you know, he talks about how we, we, we praise the Lord but curse our brothers and sisters. And he understands that this perfection is kind of in an already but not yet. So it's, it's attainable, but it might not come to fruition this side of heaven. And, but he doesn't let us off the hook. He doesn't say, ah, Whatever. Just read your Bible a little bit more. Think about some things. It, it's okay. No, he says, you've you got to work on this. There's no excuse. It's imperative. 
just like the Lord spoke creation into existence, we can also speak the gospel into existence, into people's lives. Our words have transforming power, and James understands this, and he calls us to live in that life of transformation. He says, I understand that our default is often contrary to the ways of God, and I want us to repent from that and be transformed. And where we get kind of nervous and we go, gosh, I just, I don't know that I can do that. We have to remember that he gives more grace. And for some of us, this is, we're pretty good at, at speaking words kindly to, to one another. Um, you know, like to the neighbor, we got that, man. Like we're, we're out there, we're complimenting people, we're writing appropriate things on their Facebook wall about who they are and what the Lord is doing in their life and, and how he's molding and shaping them into something you know, beautiful and wholly new. But then we look at our neighbor in the mirror, ourselves, and we have this ongoing negative, neg- negative narrative that speaks lies against who the Lord has called us to be and how he's created us. And to that, James says, the Lord gives more grace. And though sin increases, grace abounds. And it isn't grace by just a little bit, it's grace by a lot. It's not, oh, you know, grace sneaked it in in game seven. It was a clean sweep, undefeated, and trumps any sort of sports dynasty that's ever happened. Nothing exceeds the way that grace has succeeded over sin. Sin tries to hold Jesus within the tomb, and grace says, no, we have bigger plans. There's redemption, and there are people, and there are souls, and there's a world that needs to be turned on its head, and grace is going to do that. And now Jesus sits on the throne because of grace, and we are invited to follow along and to know freedom and know wholeness and life as it was supposed to be. And James says, that is the power of your words. That is why they are important, and that is why praise is to always be on our, on our lips. And so what would it look like if our words gave more grace? Last week, last week we heard about the transforming power of the word. What is that going to look like in our lives? Today's Sunday, tomorrow's Monday. Most of us are, will be at a job. Um, we'll be in school. What are our words going to look like to our, to our coworkers, to our fellow students, to our spouses, to our friends, to our bosses, to those who, um, you know, who work for us? How are we going to trans- take these transforming words and speak them to others? So they would know grace, and they would walk in freedom and walk in wholeness that only Jesus provides. And what would it look like if we took that wisdom from above that James speaks about, and instead of speaking disorder and chaos and perpetuating the foolishness that the world tries to impose upon us, we spoke words which were pure and peaceable and gentle, and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial 
and sincere. And what are we going to do that we would begin to hear these words ourselves? What are we going to do to be able to speak those words to the person staring back at us in the mirror? When are we going to stop dragging ourselves through the muck and the mire and see ourselves as the Lord sees us, as his child, worthy of love and worthy of service? And as a church, as communitas, what would it look like? What kind of legacy are we going to leave behind if we begin to speak the truth to and about one another? How is that going to change the way that we live our lives? And then, how is that going to change the, the community around us? What would it look like if, if just us, those here, in this building right now, spoke these, began to allow our speech in the way that our hearts and our minds worked to, to be transformed, to say these words, to, to speak wholeness and freedom and truth and the gospel to people in a way that they understood and in a way that they would follow the Lord and be transformed. Have we blown it? Yeah. I'm probably going to do it here within the next hour again. And to that, the Lord continues to say, My son, my daughter, I give you more grace. Just want us to take few moments I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll spend just a little bit of time in silence however long Jen deems before the team comes back up and and we're gonna we're gonna break the silence uh, by singing another song uh, so in in just these these few moments I want us to be thinking about our words taking stock in, in who we are who God has created us to be bearing in mind the words that James has written to us as the pastor of the church in Jerusalem and, and think about how would our world be different if we believe the words that the Lord has, has said to us. So Father, we thank you for your words. We thank, we're, we're so thankful that you give us more and more grace. That you speak to us in a way that continues to build us up and move us along you call us into deeper and deeper relationship with you. And Lord, I pray that we as a church would hear your words. We begin to understand the narrative that you're calling us into, the story that you have for us. And Lord, help us to believe that about you and about others and about ourselves. And God, that we would see you on the throne, exalted, and that we would remember that we are your children made in your image.